And hello out there, horror fans. Welcome back to Selling the Scream. My name is Jed Donaldson. I'm one of your hosts. I have with me my other host, Josh Yoakum. And we also have a special guest for you today. A good friend of ours, Jason Duff, will be joining us. How are you guys doing? I, I am doing well. Yeah. Right, Jason. Very happy to be here. <laughs> now, Jason, I know you've listened to some of the episodes we've had before. Um, why are you here? Why, why, why did you want to join us on this one? <laughs> yeah, I gave you choices, part, man. Yeah, well, it's, it's part of the community service deal I have with uh, the judge is he wanted me to come onto the podcast. That's harsh. It's <laughs> that's, that's a bad thing. It was either that or breaking rocks for three years. And, and... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure if you got off light on that one or not. <laughs> well, ask me in an hour. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. We'll we'll end up on that uh, at the end for sure. Um, so we we've, we've got a movie to talk about today. We normally do, but today specifically we have uh, Blue Velvet, yes. which I guess there's probably going to be some debate over the course of the show about whether or not this actually does qualify as a horror film. Um, and we can definitely get into that. But uh, before we do, I just want to take a take a step back and. Get a little little breather and kind of find out if there's anything been going on since the last time we recorded that maybe we want to share and we'll talk about a little bit. Josh, you got anything? Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of was mentioning a little bit to you, but uh, you know, I've been had this week off, got to spend a little bit of uh, time with my son, and we uh, you know went to the went to the beach this week and ate out at the uh, first restaurant I've been to since Corona started and felt super guilty about it the whole time, but kind of didn't really have a choice about it because of where we were where'd you go um, uh a little like a diner place I, I wanted to get seafood and the seafood places i was looking at my my six-year-old son uh is a picky six-year-old and did not want to eat at all the great places i found so we we had a, this this diner that was pretty good it was it was better than i thought it would be so you don't want don't want to plug it drop a name once once uh once we see those dollars coming in we'll uh I'll, I'll i'll give them a shout out it was out in um cannon beach in oregon though and i i, I yeah. that narrows it down i bet some people know what it is <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah just uh been been doing stuff with him and got to, got to show him a couple couple video games and uh watch a little planet earth so good times awesome well, Jason, you're you're new here. Uh, do you have anything that you want to share with the class? <laughs> uh, well, one, you know, just thank you both for uh, inviting me. So excited to join the the J with with J and J podcast. Uh, fantastic. There's, there's three J's and now, so that's good. Three yes. J's, and and we we don't need to fight over who's getting top billing, middle billing, or uh, class billing. That's no, I mean that was that was the point of having it be J. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um, it was uh, Josh. It was your 40th birthday uh, last yes. week, right? Yes, and you you got me a pretty awesome gift. I, if you want to talk about that, I'm, I'm I think it's pretty rad. Well, it, it'd be vainglorious for me to, to talk about it, but I, <laughs> I did want to. I, I just it, it was funny Josh, that you the, uh, it, when you <laughs> talked about what happened your last week, it wasn't that you turned 40, uh, and so I just did want to wish you a big happy birthday and uh, congratulations oh. for making it this far. So. <laughs> Job well done. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. You, you know, related to that, uh, you know, so I, I got Josh a, a cameo, uh, which there's nothing familiar with cameo is you go to a website and uh, 
you know, it's great being an A-list actor. It's uh, great being a B-list actor. Once you're a C or D-list actor, uh, the jobs aren't coming in, but you still have a little notoriety, um, and uh, you're able to earn a little money. And so there's a website, Cameo, where you can have a celebrity uh, film a little uh, video for you. And so I had uh, Lori Wilcox from... Um, Lisa, Lisa Wilcox. Sir, Lisa Wilcox. Some, res- oh. Oh, some respect on uh, that name. <laughs> well, the, 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 the discounted one would have been Lori, I guess. Uh, uh, send Josh a happy birthday message. And of course, he was in um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. But where I was first introduced to this was uh, my oldest daughter loves doing uh, plays. And um, it's tough now with the coronavirus because all the plays are, you know, all the rehearsals are on Zoom. Staffed by and... real Americans. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, all, all the jobs are yeah, being shipped overseas. But, uh, you know, when they, she actually does the show, she has to wear, you know, a mask, of course, and they, they film it not in front of an audience and they piece it together afterwards. So it's it's all a bit different. And she was doing Aladdin where she was going to play Iago, which, of course, is that wisecracking um, that parrot uh, played by Gilbert Gottfried. Right. And so, you know, she had, has had just a really great attitude through, the, through this whole thing. And so I decided to go to Cameo and have Gilbert Gottfried record a little video congratulating her for doing a great job playing Iago. And, you know, Gilbert did just a, such a wonderful video. It was actually pretty heartwarming because sometimes he can work pretty blue, but he was really <laughs> touched by the fact that this eight-year-old was excited to play Iago. And it was this wonderful video. And I had it made before the show. And uh, my my daughter was you know getting all dressed up to go to this performance. I noticed the costume looked a bit different than the traditional version of Aladdin. And I started looking at it a bit more. I'm like, hey, this doesn't look much like Iago. And she let me know that she reminded me that she was playing Zazu, uh, the wisecracking bird from Lion King, uh, not Iago <laughs> from Aladdin. And so uh, Dad now has this video of Gilbert Gottfried uh, saying, "Great job." And so now what we need to do is we've been doing Google searches of other kids' productions of Aladdin. So I can go to the director and say, listen, uh, here's her ya- your Iago. Like, <laughs> we, we, we have to make this happen because it's already the video is already filmed. We just need her to go play Iago. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what have uh, you been up to, Jed? What, what's wrong with you, man? I'm not going to be able to top that. I mean, I don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, I Really... I had today was uh, the first day that I kind of was able to just kind of go out and do stuff that wasn't related to online school for my my children. So uh, we went to my grandparents' house. They had a tree removed, and we my brother brought a log splitter over, and I proceeded to watch him split logs and get sunburned. Uh, <laughs> I guess it could have helped, but that's not what I was there for. You, huh. you you sell that pretty short because there's nothing more that I like than just to sit back, do nothing, and watch other people work. <laughs> well, you're getting sunburned, too. I mean, it's, I had to stand outside, so the sacrifice is real. <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm the real hero, but I might be. Um, but, yeah, the, for the most part, this week has been trying to figure out how to do uh, online school. My, my youngest son is in first grade, and because of the degree of difficulty navigating the computer programs, uh, I am basically taking first grade again. <laughs> 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 I have to be there the entire time. Like, 
he's fine if it just comes to be working a worksheet, but I have to be there the entire time, so I, I may as well be in his class. That's that's basically how it's boiled down so far. I'm looking forward to the kinks get worked out a little bit as we go on, but uh, <sighs> but right now several hours of my day are are spent doing that, and it's great. <laughs> but that's not that's not what we're here for. It's, this is selling the screen. Uh, what we do is we talk about horror films, uh, specifically stuff that Josh has picked out, uh, him being a self-proclaimed horror expert. He's trying to show me everything that the genre has to offer in an attempt to make me a fan of the genre. Um, I had always thought that I did not like horror movies, that I did not like horror stuff in general, but I found as I get older that I am interested in a lot of the things that are around it, and I just... I've skipped watching all these things over years and years and years and years and years. Um, so I, I think he would be pretty proud of the record he's put up, put up so far. Most of the stuff that we've watched, uh, I have actually enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about something a little, little different, a little controversial today. Um, I said at the top of the show that maybe this isn't even really a horror movie, but, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about blue velvet this afternoon um, Yes. and see how this one comes down. <laughs> so yeah we uh we're doing our first uh david lynch movie um so this is uh this is 1986's blue velvet and um he, he'd had some big movies before this is his fourth movie but i'd say this is kind of the first one where it really feels like david lynch um his his first movie and one we m- might get to at some point is Eraserhead which right. is just kind of infamously surreal and kind of batshit. It's a little more batshit and kind of a, it's not as personal, I think, as, as some of these later movies where there's kind of these recurring themes that you see over and over again. Um, it was a very divisive movie, but like it, it had some, some real big fans and followers to it. So the, um, that got him the job um, making the elephant man, which one one did win a ton of, but got nominated for like eight Oscars was just like a critical darling that year huge financial hit huge critical hit um but it you know it was based off a book it's also kind of not really his thing like it's it's visually striking but it's not a David Lynch movie um, yeah David Lynch uh, tends to have <laughs> a very specific style that he works Yes, and I, I, I believe if you've seen any of his films, just because I know some of the stuff you're a fan of, I, I, I think we've talked about it before, his third movie is Dune. Um, yes. So Dune, like, he got this huge budget uh, uh, working for Dino De Laurentiis, who's like, a, he's an Italian film producer, who in my mind, just as a kid, is kind of, his name's kind of synonymous with movies. I remember seeing like, like, like Conan the Barbarian and a bunch of like big, movies that got like kind of produced from overseas financing he's involved right. with a lot of like stuff like conan like i said also a lot of like oscar nominees and stuff too just like yeah. just big spectacle movies like that's that's a a name that's almost synonymous with like hollywood royalty yeah yeah um but uh dune is a huge flop and he and, and lynch felt like it was like getting stolen from him as he was making it like there was a lot of hands on it the a lot of stuff kept getting changed. He didn't get final cut on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that like they, they released it originally. He put it, he had his name on it. They did an extended cut to try to put stuff back in. And he was so upset about that, 
that he stripped his name from the the directing and the writing credits from it. And it's an, it's an Alan Smithy movie. So <laughs> that's a movie that I I think maybe I need to go back and watch again because um, I remember really liking it. Yeah, it was great. But I I can't remember <laughs> why now. You know? <laughs> and it's I been mean, a long time, so I don't want to. Com- completely throw it under the bus because i think there is stuff to like about it but i think it's not it's it's kind of a movie that doesn't really know what it wants to be kind of a an an interesting fact is um he did that instead of um he was also offered return of the jedi (laughs) so (laughs) we we could have had david lynch's return of the jedi (laughs) that would have been a much um, so this is his fourth movie and kind of the, the, the cool thing with this one, he was in a, a three picture deal with, uh, Dino De Laurentiis, but they, um, the second one was like a, a, a theoretical Dune sequel. If D- Dune did well, spoiler Dune did not do well. <laughs> they, um, but his, his contract for his last movie, like he kind of didn't know even if he wanted to make it or even if he wanted to be in film anymore, he was like so devastated from Dune, but he had this script that he'd been shopping around for like a decade uh took way less money had like the smallest budget that they'd ever worked with and he made blue velvet um with complete control he had final cut on it he had everything um everything he wanted for it just not the money (laughs) um and i this this is the first movie to me that feels like david lynch like i think this is kind of the best way to enter it too because it's also the story is it might not seem straightforward until you watch something like inland empire or mulholland drive or um his really surreal stuff um but yeah that's that's what he had to work with at the time it was a um audiences were very divided critics were really divided too It, it there was so much controversy around it which as we start to get into talking about what this movie is about and what it is, you will understand why there was controversy around it. Um, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. But he went the, after big oil, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's a movie that kind of swings for the fences and the people that the people that were adherents of it and fans of it um, were really passionate about it, but there were, you know, a lot of people, a lot of critics didn't like it too. It, it did get nominated for best director. It was the, the only movie that it was the only nomination for it. And it was the only best director nom that wasn't also nominated for best picture. So it was kind of a, kind of an outside thing, but um, yeah, I, uh, like I said, I think this is kind of the best way to get into what David Lynch is this kind of weird dreamlike. Um, so, okay. Well, <laughs> what David Lynch is, is David Lynch a horror director? <laughs> you want to get into that part now? I think it's fair. Okay. <laughs> it's fair to jump um, in that wrap top. So I, I, I would argue that he has there maybe a little bit more of like psychological drama, psychological thriller, but I think he plays enough in the headspace of things designed to explicitly elicit terror that I, I think it's pretty fair to, to, to put him in this genre too. It's like, it might not be like, you know, I, I guess the analogy I would use is like, you're not eating watermelon, but you're drinking watermelon flavored water. Like, you know, you're it's it's in the ballpark and it's close enough. And he's working with those things there. The one of his that I would say, is, I, I would say Eraserhead is is pretty solidly and it's it, it's arty, but it's it's 
a little bit more solidly in the horror category. This this gets tagged as like mystery too, but I think there's enough here that kind of goes beyond what you see in most mystery movies. I can see there being overlap between you know like thriller, like psychological thriller, or just thriller and horror. Um, this didn't really push a lot of those buttons for me. Like I I'm not sure if I can quite drink that water flavored or watermelon. <laughs> That you're trying to pedal here. Um, I'm not going to say that it doesn't belong, you know, on this list. It's your list. You made the list up. I just, I'm not sure that for me, this quite got all the way to horror. And that's fine. We can talk about movies that aren't horror. It's just, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, I think this is, this is close enough. And I think it influenced enough in horror that I, that's kind of why I want to talk about it. Especially kind of this, like, artier horror, or horror that has something to say about, um, like small town life or um, <laughs> things kind of, of or like, you know, American family structures or kind of just late 20th century life. <laughs> I think it has enough elements that kind of get at the meat of what is terrifying about that, that right. it, it kind of fits for me. Okay. So, so Jason, you had said that, well, I don't know if you said it specifically, but you chose to, be on this episode with this movie what about this movie made you want to talk about it like what why do you want to talk about this movie in this context well i think one that it's the least like a horror movie which i'm generally just not a fan of the genre the second thing is that i'm a huge david lynch fan so while dune was a flop i thought there was a lot to like about that that movie yeah me too but, uh, but my my favorite drama I think of, of all time on TV and when I say favorite, I mean top five, maybe top 10 is twin peaks, which sure. there's a lot of similarities between, uh, you know, blue velvet and, and twin peaks. Like he goes back to that. Well, a lot of times, whether it's, you know, a, a lounge type scene, you know, red curtain, uh, teenagers trying to solve a murder, and yeah. even the town being like the main industry being lumber. So like, there's so much of like what worked in, he, he loved about Blue Velvet he brought over to Twin Peaks. And so I've always been a Blue, uh, a David Lynch fan. And uh, right. so this uh, was other, uh, this is the one. Knowing, OK, other than knowing that David Lynch is weird, I have not seen any of his stuff, really. So, I mean, okay. maybe that, you know, paints me in a, you know, a bad light. But I, I'm only tangentially aware of what t- Twin Peaks even really is. Mm. Um, so I was coming to this pretty blind, like. I, like I said, I know David Lynch is kind of synonymous with weird and kind of out there stuff, um, but I hadn't really seen any of it. So, yeah, there's the, like Jason was saying, there's a lot of the a lot of the themes are um, at play here, and I think once we actually kind of talk about like the plot and and get into that, like I, you you see a lot of those recurring motifs throughout his stuff, where um, and I think part of how it works is. He has he he makes really weird and disturbing stuff, but the really wholesome stuff he has like a genuine affection for. Like that's what he grew up with, and he's not even if he's showing it as being like banal and like a little bit of artifice. He's he's also like really invested in it, and he likes it a lot. Like it's I I feel like you see that in this movie, yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's um, some of those recurring things. Like that's a big thing that that carries on through to like Twin Peaks and some of his other stuff. That um, these these 
structures that he kind of works with. And I, I will mention too, like if you ever see like an interview with him or anything, or if you like read any, anything he's put out there, he's, he, he, he writes, he directs, he's a, he's a musician. Like he makes these like internet videos and stuff too. He's also like a huge into um, transcendental meditation, which is like, um, and, and like has a charity that teaches it to like inner city kids. Like he's one of those guys who's like genuinely kind of off, kilter and, and he could possibly be like neuroatypical, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a, um, like when you see Quentin Tarantino, it kind of, it, even though he's a genuine kind of weird creep, it also kind of feels a little bit like an act. Like he kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah. I think, I think this is just David Lynch. This is just like, yeah. <laughs> what you see is what you get with this guy. <laughs> not that it's not considered and he doesn't have like a process and he doesn't understand it. Like not like he's an idiot savant or something, but I think he's, He's a, a, a genuinely out there guy that kind of elicits some of these reactions. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so we're talking about Twin we're, – we're not talking about Twin Peaks. We're talking about Blue Velvet. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that's the next podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be down for it. A whole other yeah. series. <laughs> um, all right. So let's – Josh, do you want to do like a like – Yeah, a, let's do, like, kind of let's do kind of a, a wrap of, of what this is. Yeah. So um, it's it's set in a very small lumber town in, in North Carolina, um, and and I don't want to get into like a, a ton of like the symbolism and, and like the plot synopsis, but I think that the opening scene's worth kind of going into a little bit, where um, our main character Jeffrey, his uh, father, like suffers some sort of medical thing. It's it's it, like a pinched nerve or a stroke. Like it it's it's never explicitly made clear. I, I believe in the movie. Um, I those Beatles got him. <laughs> But it's this it's this beautiful, serene, small town. Uh, you have the song Blue Velvet playing. This is like after you've kind of seen like the credits over a Blue Velvet curtain. Yeah, real, um, real old school stuff there. <laughs> Look, very yeah. throwback Hollywood. Yeah, and, it, and it's um, something I like a lot about this, too, is that it's it's sort of indeterminately late 20th century where it's there's parts of it that feel kind of like 50s or 60s. But there's also parts part of it that do feel like it's. 80s like it's sure. a, it's it, it's kind of nebulously set but um he jeffrey's father suffers a stroke and we we zoom in like you mentioned the beatles we go underneath kind of the the manicured lawns we go past like the the barking dog and even that's got some menace to it because it's this dog like fighting for water this little dog over like the the body of his father and my dog see... does the same thing when you turn the hose on <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, it, it's it's a contrast. It's kind of the, the state of nature in the world where it's sort of it's violence and fighting for resources. <laughs> like it's um, and, and that's kind of what we we enter into. And we get kind of this almost like Hardy Boys type story where a uh, the, the son comes home. He finds a clue, in this case, a severed ear in a field. So this, um, is, this is Kyle McLaughlin. And is yes, he's I. I assume, you know, from context that he's he was away at college and he came back like his part sometimes seems it, it veers wildly from like seeming older than that or seeming way younger than that in terms of like his demeanor and, and the way his character portrayed. Yeah, yeah, because one thing I noticed, I, I actually did some research on this, so I did some math and he was 27 when he was in this movie. And what I find odd about it is. You know, when I saw the movie for the first time, I was younger than Kyle uh, McLaughlin. So even watching this as I'm 40, he feels like he's older than me. 
<laughs> and I, I think it's just like a common thing with movies like he, like younger people he's in his 20s but he just feels like my elder right yep there i mean that's probably pretty common when you see movies from like when you're that yeah. age and then you go back to them yeah, like um, all the karate kid like bullies who are all like 19 years old still scare the hell out of me right <laughs> those guys, well, those guys should. genuinely yeah. They, they know what they're doing. They can kick ass. Yeah. That's actually yeah. our next movie. That's uh, you spoiled it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so. But what I mean though is like you said, Hardy Boys, and that immediately made me think he really seemed like like a kid detective. Like a yes, like a kid <laughs> detective exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's um. I mean, it's it, it's got the noir elements too, but it also really has that kid. Because it's it's they're drawn in by such and there's another big thing with David Lynch too is like he's obsessed with like innocence, mm-hmm. um and just uh, he ends up uh kind of teaming up with a police detective's daughter to mm-hmm. investigate what's going on with his ear and they they know that a a lounge singer has been kind of implicated in a lot of cases and that's like the the, the daughter has overheard her father talking about that so they make like a plan to like get into her apartment and it, but it's like at this point in the movie, other than kind of like seeing the Beatles and stuff and you know, there's some disturbing imagery, but it's, I mean, he found an ear. Yeah. And then, but, yeah. but the, but the movie itself has, has been fairly small town. Like the, the people in it have been good or innocent people kind of right. um, wouldn't have suspected that uh, corruption underneath. Yeah. No. Now, what I had trouble with the whole ear scene is, listen, I, I've seen a lot of litter in my days, and I've seen probably three or four, uh, you know, brown paper sacks littered in the last 40 years. So, like, once every 10 years, I stumble upon a piece of litter of a brown paper bag. I thought and you were... just so happens to find a brown <laughs> paper bag right next to this ear that you can put the ear in. And transported to the hospital. So at that point right there, I became convinced that this was not based on a true story. <laughs> We're in some sort of heightened reality where <laughs> anything could happen. Where did the brown bag come from, sir? And why was that brown bag almost exactly ear size? Yeah, yes. exactly. It wasn't like like a grocery bag. It was uh, you know conservation of amount of the paper that they actually used. It was it was bespoke to the ear. So that was just. It was a bit too much. I, I do love that in a movie that raises several valid, like wild questions about what's happening. The first pit stop we're making. <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on, before we get any further, I, uh, a brown paper bag, really? <laughs> and the size of the brown paper bag, Josh. Don't dismiss yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, brown paper bag, I might be able to go there, but the size is really what's throwing me. <laughs> So the, the, getting back to where we were, they they hatch a plan to get into um, the apartment of this lounge singer named Dorothy Valens, and uh, Jeffrey uh, sneaks inside pretending to be uh, uh, be spraying for bugs, um, kind of sees somebody else that's that's wrapped up in this plot. He doesn't know it at the time, but um, the 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 part of the the plan that Laura Dern as as Sandy was supposed to pull off. She wasn't able to because of uh, she was supposed to come and pretend to be like religious person, Jehovah's witness. Yeah. Uh, but Kyle McLaughlin's able to, you know, he's able to think on his feet. He gets a key. He's able to come back later, sneaks into her place, sneaks into the closet and sees her exhibit a lot of very bizarre behavior. And then she gets visited by 
Uh, and this is uh, Dorothy Valens is played by Isabella Rosalini, who's an mm-hmm. Italian actress and model. Um, another just genuinely strange person who I love. Like she's a, <laughs> she's got a series called Green Porno. That's like, and she made it like in her like late forties, early fifties, and it's um, her dressed up as various animals and reenacting their mating rituals. Uh, all right. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube sometimes. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of views. It's very <laughs> people, people tuned in. <laughs> um, but uh, she's she is met by this character who comes in, uh, Frank Booth, played by by Dennis Hopper. Um, you know, a real real kind of subtle performance. Real. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's and only a, the way Dennis Hopper can. Nuance, yeah. <laughs> um, you you had mentioned last time, Jed, when we like had first started talking about this, if this was kind of like what launched Dennis Hopper. It didn't, but it was kind of like a, a Pulp Fiction for John Travolta moment for him, where his his career was not in a good place. Yeah, before. I think I think when I had said that, I I recognized that he had been in things prior to this, but like this is one of the movies that I. I kind of associate with like my knowledge of him. Like, yeah. And, and he's like a, in this scene, he's leather clad. He's, he's abusing Dorothy. He's, you know, scree. Like he's the only person who says fuck in this movie. Uh, so, other than, other than Ben, who is repeating what he said. Um, yeah. he says it 56 times. <laughs> so, um, uh, there's a basically a sexual assault that he he witnesses. He's actually been at this point. He's been discovered by Dorothy. She's pulled him out. She's like kind of started being sexual with him. Like it's a some implied off-screen fellatio might be happening. Um, <laughs> so he's already in this weird situation. He watches Frank, this violent thug, just screaming at her, and they're having uh, some pretty incestuous undertones to what they're talking about as, you know, he's calling her mommy. He's calling himself baby. He's beating her, beating the shit out of her ends up like fisting her, dry humping her and leaves. And she's a mess. And he consoles her. And this begins like a, an affair that they end up having where he kind of gets entangled in her life. And that's just how I met my wife. <laughs> a real meat cute. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, he kind of keeps the, trying to solve this mystery and figuring out like who Frank's contacts are. He's working with Sandy still, but he's obviously hasn't told Sandy kind of the extent of what he's been doing with, with Dorothy Valens. Um, and he, one night he's over there and he happens to get caught with Dorothy by Frank and, uh, Frank takes him out for a joyride and, <laughs> um, they go and meet like a criminal associate. Dorothy's able to go like see her her, her husband and kids. You find out that, that that ear that's found in the in the field is her husband's ear that's like was cut off to send send her a message. Um, Did we ever actually find that out in, like until the very end, or is that just a, a safe assumption to make? I mean, the, he goes to the there's the scene like in the police department where he's at the morticians and they're able to like determine some things about the ear. Um, and, and he kind of makes an educated guess about it before it's confirmed later on. So, um, that's kind of what you, you, you know about that. Um, the, the joy ride takes them to, like I said, the Ben's place, which is, uh, Dean Stockwell or Ziggy from quantum leap where you, (laughs) 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 or not Ziggy, uh, Sam was the, no, Sam is the doctor. 
God damn it. I, I'm, I'm blanking on, Josh, uh, on his on. name. Come on, Josh. L- let's just re-record this podcast. <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> I, they I'm, go to Pussy Heaven. Yes, they go to <laughs> – or this is it. Yeah. Uh, they, he's, he has asked whether he's ever been to Pussy Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we do get a recurring champion here. We get Brad Dourif as one of the, one of the goons. <laughs> I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> Um, there's also a, a David Lynch regular, the, the main, the main character from Eraserhead and a regular in Twin Peaks, uh, Jack Nance is the, yeah. is Paul. And Dune. Yeah. And Dune as well. Um, but Frank basically is like threatening him this whole time. And a lot of surreal stuff goes on here. We'll get into this. I'm sure at some point, uh, takes him out to like, uh, a dusty abandoned area, uh, there's a lot of music that's been playing too. Like there's a recurring theme with like the blue velvet song by Bobby Vinton and yeah. Roy Orbison's in dreams. Um, and after a very violent encounter that leaves uh, Jeffrey Beaumont uh, just, just beaten and shaken, he kind of agrees to walk away from this mystery um, until he, he, he realizes that um, one of, the associates of Frank that he's saw in the, in the apartment is the, is on the police force. It's, it's Sandy's father's partner. Right. Um, but even then he gives him the information, walks away from it, has a date with Sandy, uh, is threatened by Sandy's ex-boyfriend who like tries, tries to start the man dance with him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> before, uh, a, a, a naked and beaten Dorothy shows up like, completely out of it and seeking out Jeffrey. This is how Sandy finds out that there's something going on between them. Um, and then that leads to like a final confrontation where he, he knows she was injured back at her place. He knows there's something going on there. He goes back to her apartment, finds the the police partner has been severely injured, not quite dead. And Dorothy's husband's there dead. Um, he knows he finds out Frank is on the way. He's able to, trick Frank um, and, uh, and ambush him, kill him. Uh, and then, you know, we get our, we get our happy ending. We get, we get our Robins, which symbolize love eating insects that symbolize death. And, you know, the end, everyone's happy. And <laughs> yeah, so we're done talking about this movie. Then. Yeah, that's, 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 that's everything. <laughs> we did it. Cue the end credits. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't get into like a lot of just the the weird imagery in this movie, so a lot of the recurring motifs, and I I can definitely pick scenes that I think are important. I want to dive into, but it kind of as our as our tradition, you're the you're the new person here. What kind of what stood out to you? What was the what's the scene that or or theme or thing that five years from now you're going to remember about Blue Velvet? <laughs> well, you know, they never explain it, but how. Um... You know Frank and uh, um, oh, what, what's the what's the uh, the lead woman's name? Uh, the, the, Dor- the, Dorothy. Dorothy. How they first got connected, and I have to imagine, you know, it's a small town. She's a lounge singer, and she just so happened, uh, chance that night, sang the song Blue Velvet, and a bit of very very poor luck, someone in the audience also had a blue velvet fetish and was into her and this whole thing went down and was it all because on her playlist she said you know what let's do uh let's have a little fun tonight let's do a uh, blue velvet like <laughs> is, is that how 
it all came so, to be. Jason, are, are you are you pitching a prequel script on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, either that or the alternative is, was there someone else in the audience even more disturbed that, than Frank that loved, like, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows? And if he would have sung that song, uh, there would have been a whole other, uh, you know, a bit of shenanigans <laughs> going yeah, on. And, and so, so, yeah, so how did she stumble into this? And was it really bad luck that that day she decided, let's have a little fun, do blue velvet? And also, did she dodge a bullet by not singing Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows? <laughs> I think we can uh, unequivocally say, yes, she did dodge a bullet by not singing that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think you have a pretty solid point there about uh, how it's just it was just random. I don't think there was, I don't think there was any, like, there was no, like, predetermination or destiny. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was anything beyond random chance. Just like it was random chance that he found that severed ear in the lot that kind of got him involved in the whole mess. There, mm-hmm. Yeah. There and random I, chance I, he's back in town because his dad had something happen that put him in the hospital. And, and, and Lynch has said before that, like, people talk, like, why are your movies so confusing? And his response has just always been like, well, life is confusing. Like, why why wouldn't my movies be confusing? Like, that's he, – he kind of has this idea to recreate kind of the uncertainties. Because when, when we meet people in a, in a fucked up situation, we don't, we don't know, like, how they got there. <laughs> yeah. And we don't ever say, this is poor storytelling. <laughs> Uh, I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, you know, I was asking like Jed, like what I mean, I, I'm guessing like I, I think the thing that for most people stuck out was like the sexual assault scenes or like possibly them going to the the pussy heaven. This is it. Ben's place. Yeah. Um, well, I know there, what stood out to me about that was the prostitutes all look like the secretary of staff of a middle school. <laughs> like what a it was more like once lady man not pussy heaven. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like the whole term of like great clips. It's like no, great is not the word I'd use to describe these haircuts. <laughs> okay, clips. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you're asking me for a scene that stood out, I, I think it is the the um, the pussy heaven scene. Okay. Kind of like maybe the whole joyride kind of stood out to me a little bit. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just that was really like, I, I guess it it felt threatening at first. Um, I didn't feel like there was a real amount of danger for the, the main character to be, you know, like killed or anything like that. But um, I don't know. It just I didn't know what was going to happen, <laughs> and it didn't yeah. go maybe as badly as I. Thought it was going to go, despite the fact that there were terrible things happening. It just didn't seem to happen to the, the main person. Well, I I, I don't know. I, I, I to get into maybe like some of the hotter button issues. I kind of think that's a function of class a little bit. I think that's he's he's from not Lincoln Street. So um, uh, yeah, I forgot about the dramatic street sign. Oh, that's that's like oh. I, the, the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, let's talk, let's make sure we talk about that because like I, when I heard the music, like okay, now it's all gonna come together and uh, yeah, let's talk Lincoln about that. Lincoln Streets. 
Well, this is after he's war- been warned by like his his mom and his aunt to, to, to oh don't go to Lincoln Street. You're not going there, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that when they get there, it's him and Sandy. This is like when they're first kind of staking out and figuring out um their plan that they want to do to to go in and, and try to infiltrate Dorothy Valens live. Uh, they uh that. Sandy is immediately like leered at. It was just like, "Welcome to Lincoln Street, ha ha, woohoo, baby!" <laughs> I did catch that. the The first thing that happens when they get there is a car drives by slowly, going, "Hey, baby, hey, baby." Uh-huh. <laughs> that was like, my first movie cameo. <laughs> you That's how you got you your sad card? <laughs> yeah. Just a, a list of credits. That's just like background sex creep. Background well, Sex Creep well, 3. Thing, I didn't know they were filming a movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a Saturday night. Yeah. But yeah, this is a, this this the, this joyride takes place on Lincoln Street, and they it, basically Jeffrey has been having this affair with uh, with Dorothy Valens, where he's you know kind of been f- fulfilling like a need for her. He's been like she calls him her husband's name tries to get him to slap her around like like Frank does and he, he obliges and he kind of has entered this like other space this uh, the 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 wrong you know he's, he's involved in the lives of people on the wrong side of town this hidden world that he had never that was that had always been there that's that's the dialogue you give Sandy later on but yeah, um, so he actually he's like legitimately just flat out says that at one point that Yes. This is something that he he could he never saw before. Like he's now seeing it for the first time. Um, and he, yeah, just and he just keep, he had to keep going. Yeah, he gets gets drawn in, but um, he's leaving. She's being kind of tender with him, telling you know he's, he's saying that he's going to help her. And Frank comes up with his crew and catches catches them in that moment, and you know is asking like who who is this? And she's like, oh, it's just a just a neighbor. Like, oh, hey, neighbor. Just, just a <laughs> yeah, from the neighborhood, <laughs> which you know I, I I love just just being real neighborly, and he's like he, Frank's like I think genuinely really scary just because he's you've already seen just how unhinged he is like in the sexual assault scene earlier, he's just you know lashes out and punches people like randomly and shit, and like he's you know just you don't you have to anticipate his impulses before he does or he's going to call you on it uh and he he takes uh he invites jeffrey on a joy ride jeffrey says no he says no what going for a joy ride a joy ride that sounds like a great idea (laughs) (laughs) very very duck season rabbit season (laughs) there is there is a certain amount of comedy to frank's character i think i think he's, he's so fucking over the line and amped up and he's implied to be on Jesus, like so many drugs, like they never say what exactly he's like sniffing and huffing, and mm-hmm. uh, other than the beer, you know, he's drinking Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no mistake about that. Which I'm sure they're really happy to get that endorsement. <laughs> Just as happy well, as the Heineken people. I, w- yeah. I was gonna say, I think I think the Heineken people paid <laughs> paid for. <laughs> it's like you have this character say Heineken. You have this character say Paps Blue Ribbon. I don't know why they would think they were direct competition because I, I don't think I'm ever like, well, I've narrowed it down to either Heineken or Paps Blue Ribbon. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what I what I wonder about is like, is the the author of the song Blue Velvet? Did he ever see the movie? Like he wrote this song, like he never yeah. could have imagined what the, the movie would have entailed, and it would would it be like the creator of My Little Pony if he knew that bronies would come from that? If he never <laughs> created My Little Pony. Well, I, I got some news for you, Jason. That uh, oh. Bobby Vinton actually uh, recorded a new version of the song for this movie, but they didn't use it because his voice had changed. And David Lynch said he liked it, but it wasn't what he had in mind. Oh wow! Well, so, yeah. selling the scream exclusive. You've heard yeah. it here, folks. First, folks. Roy, Roy Orbison, not so much. Roy Orbison, oh. he got he got in dreams through a legal loophole, and Roy Ar- Orbison. Ended up liking the movie, but was not happy about that at first. <laughs> I would love to see an angry Roy Orbison, by the way. <laughs> Just the, 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 the true terror that the rest of the traveling Wilburys lived in at all times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of, of Roy Orbison, they, they, they end up going to, like, he's, Jeffrey's crammed in the back of this car. They're driven to this this brothel where uh, Dorothy's family's being kept. He's getting threatened and made fun of like the entire time. They're just like you know asking him if he's been to Pussy Heaven, like we said, and uh, you know just basically belittling him at every turn. Uh, they go in and meet Ben, and we get just a very you, you meet those prostitutes that you mentioned. You know, hey, it's 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 sex work. It is what it is. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to throw too much shade at these at these women just trying to make a dime maybe for aiding and, and abetting with a kidnapping. I'll throw shade at them for that, but Right. <laughs> but we get uh we get Dean Stockwell um playing and I think there's a lot of um a little bit of nebulous here too with just what kind of relationship he and Frank have because it seems like they're kind of a little flirty with each other. And like Frank very clearly says at the end of the scene before he disappears into nothing, I'll fuck everything that moves. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, that didn't seem, <laughs> that didn't seem like subtext so much as text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you have to take Frank at his word. Like he's not someone that's going to be extra polite or careful with his words. So if he says it, like you gotta, you gotta believe it. There's not really lines to read between. <laughs> um, and, and like probably the most iconic thing about Frank that gets like used most often like in parodies is he's got the gas mask that he's like huffing. We don't know what out of the entire time. And it's putting him in some like a crazed sexual state. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the David Lynch had apparently wanted it to be helium um, to which you know, Dennis Hopper kind of rightly told him that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so it would have made some of the scenes a little more enjoyable, a little bit more judge doomish. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, Dennis Hopper believes it's amyl nitrite, which is like a known as poppers. Like it's like, it's a, it's an upper that is supposed to aid with like, other drugs you take when you're if you're like for sexual purposes so that's kind of what he had in his mind but it's never really spelled out you're just he's got a he's got a gas mask he huffs on (laughs) that's 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 what it is um 
but then we get a we get a musical performance. We get a we get a lip sync uh, to Roy Orbison's "In Dreams," and boy, um, th- this is a pretty iconic scene in this movie. Is this is this uh, did you did you call the family down to rewind it and have them rewatch it? To, it's like you're you're wit- you're witnessing cinema history. This is. <laughs> I, got, I gotta say that that crossed my mind to do. <laughs> um, but like you know, how, how did how did this stuff? You said you didn't really feel like too menaced. You just kind of didn't know what was gonna happen next. Like, does this kind of surreal stuff do anything for you? This like him, you know, basically inciting this weird lip sync to Roy Orbison with a stage light instead of a <laughs> instead of a microphone in this. I will say that, like with so much else in this movie. I didn't know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, like Lynch is just such a um, like his initial script wasn't really anything like this, and like how he came up with the script, like he's not really a guy who's like, I want to make a crime movie, and I want this. These are the beats I want to hit. It's like I I like the song Blue Velvet, and it it creates a feeling in me and I want to make a film that is that feeling. And I want to have a part where a man watches a woman and from her closet. (laughs) Like, like, so he improvised this on set. He was like initially supposed to be like singing into a microphone and he just saw Dean Stockwell, like doing a lighting test and he was holding a stage light near his face. And he's just like, okay, that's what we're doing. (laughs) So, Okay, <laughs> but I think it 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 serves a useful function in this where um you don't see you see kind of some surreal and weird choices being made in the like small town wholesome side of this story, but not the the weird swings and kind of violence you see as the underbelly is kind of explored. I think that's. It, it's it's to make it even more alien. It's to make it. I was gonna say, is it is it just to say like really put you off of your comfort zone? Like this is so far out there that maybe not important what's actually happening so much as the the feeling that you get from it. Yeah, I think there's that. I I, I think there's also like, and I don't even know if he would say this, but I I this is something I was kind of thinking about on this watch through is that it kind of seems that the only time we see characters kind of engaging with, with art or music, it's these characters who are like on the edge, these dangerous characters. And it's like, I, I wonder if that's kind of his idea of like for art to exist, there has to be some element of risk or danger or the unknown. Okay. Like it's, those are the characters we see engage with it. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of a highfalutin idea that maybe I have to sit out and like kind of write out a little bit more, but that's like something I, on this watch, I was like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see that now that you mention it. Yeah. And then, so there's a, there's another part to the joy ride where they, they, they've left this place. Like I said, they, they, they bamf out of there. (laughs) They just, they all disappear. They literally do. I, uh, (laughs) I had looked away from my TV for a second, and when I looked back, I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <What's> <laughs> um, well, they, they, this is where the, you get you know, Kyle MacLachlan getting, uh, getting beat up, because he basically he speaks up for Dorothy, 
like he's being threatened and then Frank turns his attentions to Dorothy who's seen her family and she's kind of out of it. And she's just trying to like save herself and save Jeffrey, just trying to get Frank to calm down. And he's like, mm-hmm. begins sexually assaulting her again, begins like grabbing her breasts. And, uh, he's already told Jeffrey not to, don't you fucking look at me. And Jeffrey's able to get free enough to pop him in the face. And, <laughs> um, and he catches a beating for it. Yeah. Catch- <laughs> we get another musical number, <laughs> another, another in dreams. With a prostitute dancing on top of the car. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us expected an encore of Roy Orbison at that point. <laughs> I was can- hopeful. The candy-colored clown. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the part here that pushes it into comedy for me, that like, because he's, he's making all these threats and he's just getting more and more unhinged. And he like smears lipstick on his face and starts kissing him all over the face. And he's like, you better watch the fuck out or you're going to get a love letter from me. And, and the, when I send a love letter, it's a bullet to the fucking head and like giving him all these threats. And then the part that just makes me giggle is he, as his thugs are holding him, he's like, feel my muscles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's a big strong man. Yeah. And then and then one of those middle school secretaries are is dancing on the hood of a car. <laughs> he just calmly climbs out of the back seat onto the top of the car and just dances along to the the song that's being sung. <laughs> or threateningly recited, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I think this part like I don't think this part is as disarming and frightening as the like the initial kind of sexual assault and Dorothy Vallon's apartment is but it's 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 out there and it, it puts Jeffrey in the crosshairs of Frank um, right I I think it's it's so like I guess this kind of gets back to that genre argument again like these are the scenes that I think, um, and, and some of just the the imagery like that gets used throughout that kind of push it close enough to that horror line for me that I think it's worth talking about. And I also think that it these are the kind of things that you see some echoes of, and and even in something like um like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or like House of a Thousand Corpses or something where it's it's people like kind of living on the fringes of society that are always there, but until you kind of look into it, you don't recognize the, the just kind of random danger you might always be in. <laughs> like, um, right. uh, the one thing that, the one thing that sticks out to me is that yes, you see Frank being unhinged and yes, he does the, the, the sexual assault, which is terrible stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that aspect of it whatsoever. It sounds like, like you're about to downplay it. I'm about to downplay it. <laughs> but you don't see him do, like, like, like horror movie stuff. Like, you don't see him, you know, cut the guy's ear off. You don't see him kidnap people. It's almost cartoonish what you actually see him doing. And, again, I hate to use that word when it comes to sexual assault, but it is really, really fucking broad. It's not... Um, I don't know. It's. I don't want to say it's played for laughs. It's not played for laughs, but it's it. You kind of get what I'm going at. It's it's very very slapsticky at times. Well, I think part of it is that it's. I think there's a layer of remove that can make that. 
that can make that feel a little bit more though, because because our vehicle our vehicle into this this isn't a movie from Dorothy's point of view, this is a movie from Jeffrey's point of view, and right. in that in that sexual assault scene in in the closet, Je- I, you know this is a this is a thing that kind of comes up in movies a lot, and it's not my favorite theme that people work with, but I think in small doses that's good. Um, the kind of the idea of the audience as the enabler or the voyeur, where mm-hmm. He's in the closet and he's watching all this unfold and he's horrified by it, but he's also titillated by it. It's like it, it excites him and it kind of draws him in more. Sure. Um, I, I think this is a different thing if you're doing it from Dorothy's point of view, because I think that, that I, th- I think even during, you know, you mentioned not really seeing Frank as a threat. And I think from from Jeffrey's point of view. I think by the end of the movie, Frank is definitely a threat. He's trying to he's trying to kill him with a gun at the end of the right. movie. But he's also way more insulated than than Dorothy is. And I, I think like he doesn't get killed in the middle of this movie because he's they don't know who he is. It could be somebody that if he disappears, like could be a big deal and could threaten their operation. Right. So I, I think the 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 kind of levels here are where you are in this town. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, I think from, if you see this movie from Dorothy's point of view, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's utter, it's fine. utterly terrifying. Like, and, and you, I mean that, you only, like you said, you only see, you only see that through someone else's eyes. It's like you're watching someone else watch a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and, never see the scene where she goes into that room and sees her, uh, at least her son, but you know, right. I think maybe her son and her husband too. Like, just imagine what that scene would have been. But you know, we were focused on uh, you know Dean Stockwell singing some Roy Orbison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's a very that's a very conscious decision. And I think it's also, um, you know, I, I I mentioned like David Lynch kind of being inspired by a lot of things, but one of the things that did happen to him as he was growing up and in, in, in towns like this, he moved all around, but he was always like in lumber towns. He moved with his dad. I guess his, uh, somebody in his family was in the lumber industry. He was always in these lumber towns um, and lived like a pretty normal kind of small town life. But I guess there was an incident where he and his brother were outside and a like naked, confused woman was like walking down the street and like didn't know where she was or what was happening. And it was this very traumatic incident for him. And I think that's right. another that's another part in this movie that's just. I think horrifying. I think when, when Dorothy shows up um, at his house and after he's like, especially in, in the context of he's about to get in this, this dumb fight with like his new girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. Who's like just all like small town, no threat bravado after he's already dealt with Frank. (laughs) And, And it's so amped up that he legitimately thinks that the boyfriend is Frank coming to get him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what the scare is. But when, when Dorothy shows up like naked and beaten and like you, you kind of find out she's come from this scene at her apartment where, uh, the, the, the partner and her husband are like, I, and and another thing that I think pushes this into horror territory is when he discovers them, but we'll, we'll get to that. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, But it it is interesting because they built up this idea of Mike, you know, being, this like very angry 
you know, boyfriend, like it's, it's slowly like emerging that like, it's becoming obvious that, you know, he's having this affair that you think there's going to be this, uh, you know, conflict and there's the beginning of the conflict, but you never would have guessed that it would be resolved by, uh, you know, basically her emerging nude, uh, in the front yard. Right. And yeah. to the point that like it inst- almost instantly diffuses the situation to where Mike is going, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it takes yeah. it to a whole new level, which I, I do love in this scene that, like, Mike is immediately like, oh, shit, like, this is a situation I didn't anticipate. And, like, two of his bros are like, what the fuck? And then there's the one guy just like, we're going to see a fight or what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone told well, him reading the room. Well, yeah. Well, my, my favorite line of that whole scene, though, is when they bring her in the house and the mom, like, you know, basically sees this this naked middle-aged woman in her living room with her, her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend. And the first thing she says is, where have you two been? Like there was a response that would have answered like why this is all happening. Where have you two been? I, I want to know what the answer would have been that would have made it okay. Yeah. <laughs> they have, Don't have ask the question unless you know the answer. Yeah. What, what could they have said that would have made the mom go, Oh yeah, this makes sense then. <laughs> I <Yeah>. get it. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, she also does say something. You mentioned, like, you know, kind of a the, the a similar situation, like meeting meeting your wife. Like, it was crazy to hear um, my my own wedding vows being recited back to me when Dorothy Valen says, I have your disease inside of me. Um, <laughs> no, she said, <laughs> his disease inside of me. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure everyone knows that. He put his yeah. disease inside of me. Yeah. Yeah, like, like she, she repeats it enough so you know it's not like a, an accidental thing. Like it's huh. it's very intentional and she's going to keep hammering that nail in until it's all the way into the two by four. <laughs> right. Which, so, go ahead. Yeah, just one, one note about that scene. Um, so they were filming in North Carolina and like they'd been they'd been filming all around town and but they they didn't have like a ton of budget so they didn't have like a bunch of people working like security so they decided like they start filming the scene and both Isabella Rosalini and David Lynch come out and tell all these people who've gathered to watch a movie being made like hey you probably want to leave like this isn't this isn't a great scene to just casually watch like <laughs> watch film like you're not getting hollywood glitz and glamour here this is like it's going to be pretty raw <laughs> <laughs> so but but i guess the people refused to and then like the town became way less cooperative after this as if like as that's if they their, didn't tell them like, that's their own fault that that's the equivalent of like yeah. bart Simpson going i'm just going to walk forward swinging my arms like this and if you get it <laughs> Well, the same thing happened when he was filming Dune and the sandworms came and wrought all kinds of destruction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think those scenes are all all just so elevated and and push this over the line. And um, I mean, the one I mentioned that I I think my other pitch to this as a horror movie is the, the scene that he finds in the apartment when he goes back. Is there any context for what actually took place here well i mean this is just this is the aftermath of why dorothy's out on the streets this is but, but yes, it looks, I, I understand that yeah. but what happened <laughs> that's i, I a, there is a tra- traumatic head injury and her husband's dead and that's that's I think what, what happened is, is david lynch at his finest like it's such <laughs> a 
you walk yes. into the scene, the first second is, oh my goodness, like that guy is here, trouble's going to happen. And then you realize he's incapacitated, but he's still able to stand in what is happening. And so it's just such this yeah. great sense of disquietude that is David Lynch. Yeah, he's like still obviously alive. He's standing and breathing, but he's his part of his skull has been shattered and part of his brain is coming out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and there's a broken TV. I mean, the greatest crime. That's <laughs> <laughs> one thing I love is that like Frank was obviously there and he didn't kill him, uh, but he was like, you know what? Good enough. And like Frank doesn't seem to be one for nuance. And like he's like, yeah, he's let's take a look at this. It, his brain's coming out a bit. You know, he's good enough. You know, I mean, what's the price of bullets? Right. Like, why didn't Frank even, just finish him off? But again, I don't know if Frank Dave Lynch. did that. I don't, I don't, I don't oh. know if Frank did that. I, I, oh. I kind of have a suspicion there might have been a struggle there that that might have been either Dorothy did it or like it. There was some third party because Frank, Frank is fleeing from his apartment when the, when the police attack and he comes in his disguise, the well-dressed fucking man. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, can, can we stop there for a second? What I love about that is one, um, all it is is just him wearing a suit and a mustache. So why did why isn't the costume just described as Frank and a mustache? <laughs> and then two is if it's a compliment, like it's like wow, looking good. That's looks good on you. Like you're a well dressed man. Like can't Frank take compliments? He can't. He, I mean, <laughs> no, he's not the type cannot. of guy to take a compliment. No. I mean, you know, we we we're gonna say a lot of bad, broad things about Frank, but really, like. You know, he, he's a he's a pretty humble guy. Like, he doesn't like to take credit for a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want people looking at him. He doesn't want to be oh, this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do love that. That's like another convoluted layer where um, there's an earlier scene where like where Jeffrey's doing a stakeout and he sees Frank and the police guy, Gordon, who's like brain is leaking out in this scene, like go into a building together that guy comes out and like they they look off in the distance they see a murder scene which he finds out about later this is like this is the kind of just dumb bullshit like what? layers upon layers of narration i, I want to like... say something about this too before we get there is the frank and the 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 police officer get out of the car together and walk into yes. the apartment the police officer walks back to the car Frank comes around dressed as a well-dressed man the yes. other direction. Yes. <laughs> they get back in the car with this guy and goes to the murder scene. <laughs> Who is but that it's... for? <laughs> for anybody that happens to be tailing him. And, like, I, we don't know enough about Frank to know if, like, that might be, like, a whole another fucking, like, fetish that he has. He just needs to be the well-dressed man sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, can we stop calling him the well-dressed man? Can we just call him the well-mustachioed man? <laughs> I always use the language that the movie gives me, Jason. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you throw other names on top of names we already have. <laughs> um, yeah, so that 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 mystery stuff is just kind of out there. I, I, I do want to talk a little bit, too, about like some of the um, – some of the small town stuff in this and also some of like the just visual metaphor and the, the stuff that we kind of how this movie works, at least visually, because I think that's kind of the strongest thing that David Lynch has where he's got these like he's able to create these primal images that just stick with you. 
Um, but I, I, do you have anything you wanted to say about like um, about uh, Kyle McLaughlin's performance or Laura Dern's performance? Because I, I think they get overshadowed by by Dennis Hopper and Isabella Rossellini because it's more subdued. But I think a lot of what they do is just as hard. Like they have to carry yeah. this movie. Like right. I I, th- I think Kyle McLaughlin's Chicken Dance was pretty fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was out of nowhere. <laughs> hey, that's that's how flirting worked in 1986, man. You just <laughs> either 1986 or 1956, and that's the great thing about this movie. You don't know when it takes place. <laughs> Who am I to judge? Because it clearly worked. <laughs> it's um, like the tell, yeah. telling the grandkids like. How did you meet Grandpa? Well, I, I wasn't really on board, and then he walked like a chicken. <laughs> I I didn't really care for either of their performances, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only the only time I thought Kyle did a good job was after his beating, you know waking up the next morning and kind of sobbing, really realizing how much in over his head he actually is. Like, yeah, that was, I thought that was really effective. Um, but like I said before, like he veered so much between being super naive, like a kid detective to seeming much, much older (laughs) than he was supposed to be. (laughs) that it was hard for me to get a handle on the performance he was giving. And I did not care for much of what Laura Dern was doing at all. I, I, do you have, do you have opinions about the, am I, am I going to be defending these two performances by myself, Jason, or is this? <laughs> uh, listen, at this point, I would like to be I'd an, like an impartial. The, well, well like, listen, I've enjoyed the podcast to date. I'd love to see you two go at it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let, 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 let's see what happens. Uh, so, Josh, Jed just called you out. Uh, rebuttal. <laughs> well, I think I think the performance that they do is, like I said, it's it's not as sexy as the other two because they don't sure. they're not they're not there to choose scenery. They're they're there to kind of ground everything. Um, I, I don't know. I buy I buy Laura Dern a lot as as Sandy. I think she's someone that. Um, probably her own boyfriend is, is a little, a little dull. And like Jeffrey is, you know, he's basically bringing like adventure into her life. And she kind of thinks she's made this connection. And she actually has like, the, makes like the sacrifice for him. But like, and I, I think she's able to, even when he screws up and he realized, she realizes that he's been having this affair with Dorothy Valens, like at that, you, 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 I, I buy that she like kind of forgives him and is like, but is, but in forgiving him is kind of like giving up a part of herself a little bit. Um, she's making sacrifice. She's like, well, like she even says specifically, like she's got the, the dream that's a big metaphor in this about the, the robin that represents love eating the, the insect that represents death. And, yeah. and she, she has the line there, like, what about my dreams? Like she's, in, in that moment, like she's kind of representing like the the hope and the love that can maybe pull Jeffrey out of what he's put himself into. Um, I, I think it's funny. It's funny that you say that she's looking for adventure because 
just maybe a decade after that, uh, you know, she was you know, running away from dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, <laughs> and then later uh, lead, leading leading a very heroic scene uh, against the the First Order, and uh, of course we all remember uh, the Last Jedi. So uh, careful what you wish for, I guess is what I'm saying. I think I think part of part of it is like we had kind of discussed a little bit earlier was how. I guess kind of banal and saccharine the the like the love conquers all sort of message was kind of yeah those characters I don't know that part of it did not work yeah but you you know what what I loved about that though is uh, it's kind of, again classic Lynch and one of the things I loved about Twin Peaks is it alternated between these lines of dialogue that seem like it was taken from a cheesy soap opera, like one scene and like you get to the point like, Oh, this is like such crappy acting and writing. And then the very next scene is this incredibly well done, heavy scene that suddenly started bringing all these different things together. And so I actually, I love the the contrast between a lot of these things. Yeah. Again, I think it's something where, yeah, he does have things to say about like, Basically, he he recognizes that kind of this small town idyllic life that people take for granted is also artifice in some degree, but he recognizes it as like a useful and good artifice. Like it's it's something that is worth fighting for and clinging on to, even if it's something we have to give meaning to ourselves. Um, and I, I think they're able to con- convey that pretty well and I, I i think what what kyle mclaughlin does really well and what david lynch has said is is he's he really does well the the innocent that you want to follow that you want to that you're willing he does some monstrous things in this movie yeah but you you follow along with him you you your curiosity follows along with his um even what as he's like taking advantage of this woman who's being you know a, a sexual slave and kind of sating his own desires with her and he's he's lying and kind of getting himself involved in people's affairs that he doesn't really have the means or the real ability to kind of help out with right i mean his his relationship with uh with with dorothy is is pretty monstrous i would say <laughs> yeah like he's he, he's praying selfish on her. yeah it's it's selfish and and predatory yeah, it's not as bad as as Frank, but well, that's a that's a fucking line. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Well, just just imagine Frank and uh, Dorothy going to couples counseling. That that first session with that therapist. So, so so tell me a bit about the what you see as the problem. <laughs> Don't you fucking look at me, you fuck! <laughs> mommy, mommy, <laughs> baby wants blue velvet. <laughs> At that point, the therapist calls their therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's I don't know that's that's kind of my pitch on it. I I, I think this movie also works really well with. Um, oh, I, I do want to mention briefly because since I, I I'd already talked about it, and I don't want to circle back to this. The uh, the Robin eating the bug. I was reading this interview with Lynch, and and somebody was asking him like, well that that. Robin eating the bug, like, what, is the, what does that mean at the end that it's this obviously fake Robin? And I guess Lynch got really offended, and he's just like, no, that's a real Robin. What are you talking about? 
And the, the interviewer's like, no, it's like, it's clearly staged and it's this, you know, it's not moving other than like wobbling with this bug in its mouth. And like, he seemed very confused. And it was like, I guess afterwards that like somebody had to explain to the interviewer that like the reason Lynch was confused is because they had killed a real Robin and put robot parts in it. So he couldn't understand why the interviewer didn't think it was a real Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny distinction to make. <laughs> but um wow. <laughs> I think I think that's just sort of that's the level that Lynch operates on, man. I don't I don't pretend I I I sit back and I enjoy it. I don't pretend to understand it. Um the other real awesome Lynch thing is there's a YouTube video. Um when Inland Empire came out, Laura Dern is in that. And he wanted to get her considered for an Academy Award nomination for it. And the way he did that was to sit on Hollywood Boulevard in front of an Inland Empire sign holding a leash with a cow on it and just telling random strangers that walked by, for your consideration, Laura Dern for Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. Yeah. We just think about all the, all the logistics that went into that. Like that That's a good friend. <laughs> like listen I, I, I love both of you i don't know if i'd ever go through the trouble of finding someone where i can rent a cow and uh transport the cow to a certain location yeah, that's a that's a big ask man <laughs> um but i i think there's also kind of an idea in this movie too of like um because like one of the initial things that lynch said he wanted was a, a a severed body part and he settled on an ear because he wanted a severed body part that was a portal into the body and he settled on the ear because it was a portal into the mind. So there's this, the scene in the beginning, it's like, it's, it's after he's found the ear and he's kind of first decided he wants to kind of pursue this further. And he goes to like speak with the police and ends up coming up with his plan for, for Dorothy Valens and stuff where the camera goes like into the rotted ear and it goes into the ear canal. And then the camera, it, it fades to black and then at the end of the movie, when he's like, they're kind of in their idyllic life after everything is resolved, the camera zooms out of his ear. So there, there's there's kind of a, a visual cue that some of this might be like in his mind or just kind of in into the depths of him. <laughs> the Jacob Ladder scenario. <laughs> It, it, it could possibly be it, without anybody dying. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't know. What, what, there's there was there any other like visual things that kind of struck you? There's the um, the kind of effect they use during the sexual assault where they kind of slow things down and play like the like growling cat noises. <laughs> there's like the um, like the candle that kind of flickers in and out when that happens too. That's like a, a, another thing that's sort of outside of the realm of the reality of the movie. Yeah, they do. They did a lot of that, uh, quick cuts to other images that have been briefly shown in the, the movie already. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was jarring at times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, but I think that's some of the – even a lot of his critics, the people who – like like Roger Ebert didn't like this movie, but he, he, like even he, he was acknowledging – like he just thought it was like the performances were too good for like the violence and the plot it served. But um, he recognizes that he he's just 
Lynch is such a visual storyteller that it's yeah. he, he comes up with these images that that stick with you and resonate in a way. And it, it can be very simple things that you were just looking at from like a new angle. <laughs> I at the risk of, of you know kind of jumping ahead and spoiling the did I buy this or not? Um, I, maybe I was just in the wrong frame of mind when I watched this movie because some of this stuff like. I hear when you when you say it, I'm like, okay, I can see that, but like some of it was just completely lost on me on the first view. <laughs> I just I didn't didn't see it, didn't pick up on it. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just not my cup of tea. Maybe maybe it's okay if I didn't like the movie. That's fine. No, it's fine. It's just you know the point of the podcast is I try to sell you on it. But it's... <laughs> Listen, I, I don't know if I I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn as the guest, but uh, you know one kind of last ditch save is I do think I have to believe that David Lynch is still laughing hard about all the, all the references to lumber and lumberton uh, at the very beginning, like he's listening to the local radio and there's a, a jingle for the name of the town, the DJ before they introduce the next round of songs saying, Hey, listen, there's a lot of wood out there to cut. So let's get at it. And then I, I like the, when, uh, at the, at the sound of the tree falling, it's one thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then maybe my favorite is when Kyle McLaughlin, after he you know is assaulted by by Frank and and who knows to what degree he was actually assaulted by a guy that put on lipstick and kissed him, uh, he you know called the police and the only thing in the background was a sign of Lumberton, uh, and it was like basically kind of like a it was a mix between like a poster but it was kind of like three dimensional because it looked like they were like like bits of wood making like, the word Lumberton. What like high school kid? Yeah, like like what high school kid uh, would would decorate their room with their name of their small town and like that's like <laughs> the one thing in focus in the background. And so I have to believe as they're making this, they were just laughing their asses off at Lumberton. It's just, it's just an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like I, to think. I, I mean, I can see it. The, there, there's unless unless one of you can tell me that there's a an actual reason for all the lumber stuff, then I'm going to, I'm going to assume as an inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, I think this is like, he's just drawing on personal experience. This is, this is kind of what he grew up with. So I think drawing on it and then like tripling down, like <laughs> it's pretty aggressive. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, that, the name of the town isn't just Lumberton. It's, where, where we know it, how much wood a woodchuck woodchuck. Yeah. yeah. And like for the DJ to remind people in the morning, there's a lot of wood out there to cut. So let's get to it. Like, come on. That's great. I, I do like some of the, the, like the, the transitions and stuff here too. Like I talked about some of the more surreal ones, but I think some of the ones that are a little bit, um, like when they talk about like the ear getting cut off with a pair of scissors and they cut to the, uh, the police do not cross line getting cut with a pair of scissors. Yeah. Uh, or like when um, when Jeffrey's telling his aunt and his mom he's gonna go like leave and he walks out the door and they're watching on the TV like right as he leaves somebody starts walking up the stairs on the TV <laughs> like like kind of showing him in motion without showing him in motion. Right. I think there's a lot of cool stuff like that. Like that that's the kind of the stuff that I think is less surreal but just as good visual storytelling. Right. I don't disagree. I just. No, yeah. this one didn't land for me like uh, maybe you would hope it would. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm showing you a wide variety of things, and and we 
Uh, a little spoiler for what's coming up here pretty soon. We we have a, a, a tradition with our one guest so far that I am going to continue where uh, we're, you're, you're going to determine our fate a little bit, Jason. You're going to I'm going to give you some choices and you're going to you're going to determine what our next couple episodes are. So maybe maybe like you will power. be maybe you will be kinder to Jed than I have been with this suggestion. Um, <laughs> do you do you want to get into uh, kind of the the, the, the wrap up stuff? Is there more stuff you wanted to say about it or? No, I think I I think we said enough. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, let's, let's I, I don't do... have I, like I I was being halfway serious when I said that my notes consisted basically of the word of the letters WTF. <laughs> um, but that is most of the page. Oh, I I reined back a lot of the highfalutin stuff that was in my notes. If you if you thought I sounded pretentious in this episode, which I caught myself a few times sounding very pretentious, the 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 goddamn flowery prose i was barfing up onto my notes as i was watching this movie i trimmed that back for you i hope you i hope you appreciate that sacrifice i I actually don't mind having someone kind of explain some of this stuff to me a little bit um i'll be the first to admit that i don't catch like it's just not something that i watch a lot of movies with that eye towards you know it's it's kind of yeah really delving into the the symbolism and the, the subtleties not that well, I can't do it, no, or or that I always miss it. It's just. Well, yeah, and I, and I think there's also a fine line between like huffing your own farts too. I think I think a movie has to work on its own, and and part of why this is kind of one of my favorite Lynch movies is as for as much weird stuff as in it, you always kind of know what's happening. You know, like that there's a mystery, and you know that he's trying to solve it. And you know the main the main characters. Something like Lost Highway, you're you're not really even given that. <laughs> like... I mean, I I understood what the plot of this movie was, yeah. why it was happening is, a, is another story altogether. But <laughs> what was happening was, was relatively easy to follow. Cool. So um, let's, let's get into our, uh, our, our, where, where you sold or not. I, I think we know the answer here, but I, I still got to pull you, we pull you go, into the office, go talk to the go manager. Our segments. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, go talk to Jason, see if he can sweeten the pot for you a little bit. Come back with a, with a new description of the movie. <laughs> um, uh, again, I will say that as with many of these movies that I was maybe not super high on, having the conversation has, has helped me come around a little bit. Um, I still am not sold on this one, but I taking away some of the things that I maybe did not see because maybe I wasn't in the right uh, spot to see them when I watched it. Um, okay. It's, yeah, it's it's fair enough. That's yeah. I've, I've had I've had a good track record so far, so I'm I'm not I'm not sweating the hits as much. They still sting, not not as 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 badly. So, <laughs> um, so Jason, did I convince you to not like this movie? Are you are you now in death camp? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I tell you, I'm I didn't know that was what I was supposed when, to be doing. <laughs> when, when you first mentioned the movie, I thought you were talking National Velvet, and so I watched that movie from the 1940s about Elizabeth Taylor training a horse to run a big race and so most of my notes are about that movie uh and i would not have bought that movie and so i think that blue velvet is a much better movie than national velvet and that's okay. my main thesis okay well all right i i, I think i got a, i got a crispy to hand here i uh, hand out here and i'm as much as i'm going to bat for the more grounded performances of of kyle mclaughlin and laura dern in this and i, I think they really do add a, a great value to this movie 
for crispy purposes, yeah, you you, you got to be looking at either Dennis Hopper or Isabella Rosalini. Yeah. And uh, I, I. What about Ben? Ben Ben is a good one. Ben Ben does fit the category too because he's a supporting character. But I I think I think they're just so much bigger and they're they're doing the most acting so much harder mm-hmm. that that it has to be one of them. And I think this might be one that like has broken the computer because it's like I've gone back and forth on this one. I think I do at the end of the day have to give it to Dennis Hopper. I, I think he's just the volume knob broke. <laughs> it's just, um, I mean, how do you, t- how do you top just the sheer, I'll fuck anything that moves. <laughs> That's just, wow. I, <laughs> I don't think he had to ask like David Lynch, what's my motivation here? He just saw the script. All right, I, I get it. I he just it. showed up that line. Yeah. <laughs> this is your motivation. So, uh, <laughs> do you do you have any any is that your pick too, Jed, or is that? Uh... I, I can't argue with the uh, with the two choices you narrowed it down to. Um, yeah, and I, 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 yeah, go ahead. I, I guess I'm the only one that picked Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike did a great job of what he had to work with. It's just limited for this cat. Yeah. All right. I'm new. I'm new to the podcast biz, so yeah. Go ahead. And, uh, I think you guys are right on. Um, I. I think I would have given it to Isabella Rosalini. I, I yeah, I mean, I, she's I what, what Dennis Hopper was doing, but like I said before, it veered a little bit too broad for me in places. No, and I, I, I that's that's kind of what I was why I I had to think about it for quite a while too because it's it's just if it wasn't so manic and so out there, I think Isabella Rosalini is just so vulnerable in this role, and it's it's mm-hmm. maybe like one of the most. And she's pretty extra here too. It's not. It's not all yeah. vulnerability. No, yeah, like when she first catches uh, uh, Jeffrey in the closet, and she's kind of seeing what power tastes like for her. She stabbed him in the face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I, I, but other things too. And I wonder if that inspired a whole generation of cat burglars. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, for it. they might be detectives or per for perverts. It's but that's for them to know and you to find out. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, I got I got to give it to Dennis Hopper and just the two two notes on on this Dennis Hopper performance. One is that like a bunch of actors turned this role down or like they auditioned for it and they read the script and they were just like, oh, this is too much for me. Dennis Hopper showed up and he was like, you've got to give this to me. I am Frank. Which, <laughs> whoo, that's a that is a loaded <laughs> statement. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a lot. <laughs> the the other bit is that um, he uh, when when David Lynch was directing him, he would like run lines with him and run his lines. But anytime he got to the word "fuck" in the script, he would just point to it and say that word. And Dennis Hopper is just like, you can you can write this this fucking word, but you can't say it. And I guess that got back to David <laughs> Lynch. And David Lynch's response was. I didn't want to charge the situation any more than it was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fond of that quite a bit. Okay. All right. So I think we're at our, our multiple choice time. I think we've got, um, we've got our categories lined up. Are you ready to play the game, Jason? Lay it out. Let's do it. Yeah, here, here are four categories that you have to pick from. Uh, the first one is a category I'm calling camp for the holidays. Um, and, this is going to be one movie that has something to do with the word camp and one movie that has something to do with the word holiday. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think the the selling point on this one is it might be one of the biggest titles that we've done yet. One of the one of the richest veins in horror history lives lives in this category. Okay. Okay. Ooh, here's, okay. Uh, here's 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 the pitch for for category number two. Uh, this is one I call movies I know I watched at Jed's house. Um, <laughs> These, these are movies that, like, as much as Jed says, he's, like, never watched horror movies before or watched very few horror movies. Movies that, as a teenager or young adult, I know when I was at my friend Jed's house, I watched and he was in the room for. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the category, the, I think the fun here would be, like, that vague, like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead and read the other choices, but uh, a little, little foreshadowing. This one sounds strong. <laughs> You're throwing the, the friendship test at me now. <laughs> okay, so this is a – until we get to this movie, I'm, I'm throwing a, a category out that contains it every time. But the, the sell on this one before I say what it is is that it contains a movie I have threatened Jed with several times. Um, whenever he has said like, oh, like we haven't watched anything too bad yet, this movie's in this category. It is movies that actually – were the last two movies to give me nightmares. Um Ooh. We would we would watch two movies that I watched that day and had nightmares that night. And as a jaded horror fan, that is something that does not happen that often. Yikes. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I take back. Okay. That's, listen, you're on a roll, Josh. Keep going. Okay. Now, the last category is a returning champion. It's going to be, a, again, a, a category. I, we, I said we had one movie that was always going to be in there, but Nick Cage for a thousand, Alex. Um, <laughs> we, would, I, we would watch two movies that have Nick Cage in them. I have a vote. <laughs> okay well, well this is this is in jason's ballpark i, I don't know if you want to talk through the process or if you've got a favorite already locked in that you want to listen i i have favorites uh so josh you make this hard um <laughs> i was waiting for a a second round of blue velvet because we had so much fun this time <laughs> uh but absence of that option um I was I, listen. I'm very curious about what movies you find generally scary, um, yes. given how much horror you love to watch. And so I think that would be a lot of fun. But uh, I also just think it'd be so much fun uh, doing a movie about you know, something that you watched with Jed, but he doesn't quite remember. So I'm going to go with option B. Okay, so movies uh, I know I watched at Jed's thank house. You, thank you. <laughs> yeah. All, all right. Cool. So the the movie we will be watching for next time then. Is uh we're going back to Italy and we are gonna um we're gonna watch Dario Argento's Suspiria the the nineteen feeling this one was coming up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's an all timer for me it's is I think I think if I'm making a top ten list it is definitely on there so I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this one it is it's uh wow it is it is it is out there <laughs> I know you said that you watched this at my house but was I in the room for it that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty sure you were um so yeah that's that's uh seek it out um i i, I did because this is a multiple choice i did not do my research and my due diligence about where all these are are streaming but i know this one's out there i know it's it's available to be found i've watched it somewhat recently um this is the original not the remake that they did yes i would like to do the remake at some point too because the remake is really good too but right. we're doing suspiria for for next time uh, so I think we got some some business to wrap up, and um, I think I, I think before we do that, I, I do want to you know we'll, we'll kind of have a little bit here at the end too. But um, 
I want to thank Jason for for coming on. You're you know, one of my best friends. I'm 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 glad to be able to do this with you. I think you were at it was this was a fun time. I'm 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 glad you were able to to hop on and make this happen. Great. I, I, first of all, I'm honored to uh, be invited. Uh, thank you for the uh, the kind of words, and I'm just happy that you acknowledged me before uh, your sponsor, General Electric. <laughs> which I think just just shows what gentleman you are that uh, you put me in front of the uh, the sponsor of the podcast. I think General it, really, it really says how high esteem that we hold you in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to echo what Josh said. It's, it's great to have you on. Uh, wouldn't mind having you back. It's it's always nice to have an extra voice, at least uh, some proof that someone's listening or paying attention <laughs> to what we're doing in some small way. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, so that's what the business what this, this business stuff's all about. We're we're on Twitter at Scream Selling. Hit me up there. That's probably where you're going to find the best chance of, of getting a hold of me. Um, we have a Facebook group. Reach out to us. We can invite you in on that. Um, and then our email is at sellingthescream at, at gmail.com. And, and right now, you know, we don't have commercials. We don't have ads. But we we do ask the, the thing that can really help us out the most right now is if you're able to go onto iTunes and rate and review. That's um, like where the, the really the best way to kind of help get us exposed to a, a larger audience. So if you – if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, give us a good review on there. Um, if you, if it's a negative review, they actually want you to um, chant it to the full moon naked, preferably on LSD. That is, that's, it really helps Apple support if you, if, if they know that you're, um, that you're just tripping balls. So um, that, that is what I would recommend. They'll, they'll nail down that procedure because I think they've been through like 30 different iterations at this point. So yeah, it's. It's 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 hard. I, I find I, I think I keep finding like outdated like iOS agreements that I'm looking at that um, maybe have some of the things that used to be, but I'm pretty sure this is current. So yeah, that's that's all I've got. I want to thank thank y'all again and tune in next time for Suspiria. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, sounds good. Bye. Bye. Oh, thank you.